0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Friends Fascinated. Our amazing feature from last week, Megan, um, a practicing pagan, wrote in about an update. So we had mentioned in the episode that it was interesting that people typically weren't allowed in a coven if they're under the age of 18. And she let us know that it's against federal law to teach a minor a religion without the consent of a parent, which kind of blew my mind because I didn't know that Children could practice whatever the heck they wanted because they were their own person, but apparently it depends on the parent, which makes a lot of sense. So we really appreciate her reaching out and letting us know that this was a thing. She actually went ahead and even did some research on it and let us know that it's a little bit fuzzy depending on the source, but it sounds like it's pretty legit where if you're under 18, you have to get your parents' consent to practice as a part of a religion. So if your parents don't want you to be a witch or a Wiccan, I guess they could stop you before the age of 18. So... It's always good to do your research before you sign up for something.
1: Yeah, and she mentioned that uh, legal ramifications can be part of that. So that's why I think uh, Wiccans are a little bit more strict because they can face legal ramifications for teaching minors.
0: Yeah, and that's something we can totally keep in mind as we, I mean, I'm sure in future episodes we're going to talk about other religions and consent of minors and other things like that so it's going to be a nice little token of knowledge to carry along with us so again megan you're a queen and we appreciate your input as always always and again she is from round the cauldron the podcast you can find her anywhere you can find podcasts thanks everyone we are two friends trying to gain perspective on the remarkable world around us. I'm Jet Jones. I'm Mackenzie DeMaio. And this is Friends Fascinated. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to review and subscribe. This episode we are going to do a deep dive into the Grony family.
1: For this specific episode, we do want to warn our listeners that this episode does contain some pretty mature content, so um, we wanted to give some trigger warnings for things like murder, child molestation, rapes, basically everything bad you could think of. Yeah, so fair fair warning on those. Um, we also wanted to say up front that a lot of the information that we're going to cover is somewhat subjective, I guess, so uh, it's based on a lot of news articles, a lot of witness testimonies, and so um, we did our best to find the most factual information we could but we did want to just say up front that we can't 100% guarantee that everything is 100% factual and as with
0: anything as violent and terrible as this a lot of people's accounts of the stories can be emotional and we try to do our best to do the research and have it be accurate but it's good to keep in mind that people will be emotional about it on their reportings because it was a heinous crime many heinous crimes I was
1: very emotional researching it yes. so I can't even imagine yep but a big part of why we wanted to do a deep dive into this story was because it happened in my hometown of quarterly Idaho when I was nine years old and so we've talked about it before and always wondered about the specific details of what might have went down and so we decided now was a good time to look into it and share the story and it is an understatement To say that we were shocked and disturbed by everything we found out.
0: Yeah. You don't think things this disturbing could happen Mm -hmm. so close to home. Like, I'm from southern Idaho and this happened in way north in the panhandle of Idaho. And it's still shocking to me that, like, little old Idaho Mm -hmm. can have something as gruesome as what we're about to talk about today.
1: Yeah. Just researching this, I pretty much the whole time felt, like, kind of queasy and it just made me sick and want to throw up. So. Be prepared. We, we're we going to cover it in hopefully not too gruesome of details. But yeah. to um, give a little bit of perspective, so this story primarily takes place in 2005. And um, from my personal experience, my family moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho in August of 2004. So we were pretty new to the area. And... Um, oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that. Oh, yeah. Like, it oh, was welcome like, welcome to town. Welcome to town murder. Yeah.
0: Slaying. Yeah.
1: yeah. So when this happened, it was all over the news. I was no longer allowed to play in the front yard or anywhere in sight of anyone. I used to be able to walk to the gas station down the street and get candy. I was not allowed to do anything like that. I had to be accompanied everywhere because for good reason, this freaked out my parents and I think most parents. And it makes sense. It does. I remember my parents watched the 10 o'clock news religiously every single night, the entire time that this was going down. And so to walk through what happened, on May 16th of 2005, a call was placed to the police department in Coeur after a neighbor of the Grony family noticed that there was blood on the front door of the house. They hadn't seen anyone at the house, which was kind of unusual. And so they walked over and noticed that the door was bloody. So at that point, they immediately called the police and Deputy Dale Moyer was the responder on the call. And this actually was a parent of someone that I went to school with. And so he has a daughter that is the same age as I was at this time. And so he actually knew the family that he was responding to the call about. And so, yeah, he'd been to their house. He knew the area. When he arrived, it's reported that he said that there was just an eerie stillness to the home. And so this family had three young kids. So it was not normal for it to just be silent and no one around. And so he described that there was a smell That as a police officer, the only way he could describe it was like death. And did you say how long it had been since the crime to when he responded? I believe it was just the next morning. The police officer went to the back door and saw that it was ajar and also had blood on it. At that time, he called for backup. The officer that joined him was Detective Sergeant Brad Maskell, who, oddly enough, also was a parent of a kid my age. And so both of these officers had kids and they were responding to a call about a family with kids their age, which, just to put that into perspective, would be horrifying.
0: Yeah, super freaky.
1: Anyway, but yeah, it adds a whole nother layer. The officers entered the home and found a trail of blood. They found three bodies laid face down. The bodies were those of Brenda Groney and her son Slade Grony, who was only 13, and he was laying in a pool of his own blood face down in the kitchen. And also the body of Mark McKenzie, who was Brenda's longtime boyfriend, um, who was found in the living room. All three were bludgeoned in the head, and the officers initially thought that they were shot in the head, which tells you how horrifying and, like, just damaged their heads must have been. Mm -hmm. Turns out they actually were not shot. They actually had been bludgeoned in the head. They said that there was blood virtually everywhere in the house.
0: Jeez Louise.
1: It was later discovered that the killer entered through an unlocked back door. So this family also had two younger kids. They had a daughter, Shasta, who was eight years old, and a son, Dylan, who was nine years old, and they were nowhere to be found. This house was kind of out in the woods, and so the officers thought and hoped that maybe the kids just ran off into the woods to hide, Mm -hmm. Uh, so they searched the woods and could not find the kids anywhere. Before the end of the day, the officers had already requested search warrants for the house, the property, and a nearby truck found on the neighbor's property. Inside that pickup was a fresh roll of duct tape and wadded duct tape that had been tossed in the back. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. So they found that the victims had been bound with duct tape as well as zip ties, and they suspected that this was the small children Uh, it was later discovered that this truck was used Uh, it was mark mckenzie's truck and the keys were stolen from him and then used to drive the children bound and gagged across the property where a stolen vehicle was parked Hmm. authorities eventually would seize 300 items of evidence
0: yeah and actually a note so the neighbor who called in Mm -hmm. and reported that police needed to come out was suspicious that something bad had happened i guess shasta the youngest daughter had mowed the neighbor's lawn the day prior or a couple days prior and he didn't have enough cash to pay her and so oh, i
1: remember that yes. now. I,
0: f- I forgot about that part i remember hearing that when i was that's younger. why he stopped by because he was going to bring cash and then when he saw blood on the door handle he was like oh Ugh. crap i was a little bit suspicious because he actually had called the police the day before to report that stolen vehicle really because it was parked near his property <gasps> And so he said there's a suspicious car, and oh I think gosh. it was kind of disregarded. And then that must have been when whoever the murderer was was Ugh. scoping out the area when he reported it. So the next day when he showed up, he was like, oh, God, that truck must have been something bad. Oh, that's I'm so calling scary. the police. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, they, so the house was covered in blood, but after lab reports came back a couple days later, it was found that none of the blood at the crime scene belonged to Dylan or Shasta. So the police officers at least hoped that that meant that they were okay. Yeah. The father, Steve Groney, who was divorced from Brenda Groney, was not originally dismissed as a suspect. Hmm. They thought maybe there was some bad blood after the divorce, maybe something went down. So he was heavily considered as a suspect until they were able to verify his phone records and internet wow. records that placed him at his house. I did not realize that he was a suspect he was for <laughs> i think i saw at least 10 days if not longer
0: wow i mean it makes sense they usually do like closest family members mm-hmm. just to rule them out right away
1: yep and it turns out brenda and steve had two older teenage sons that were also looked into but they had airtight alibis and so they were that dismissed. didn't go anywhere yeah they were dismissed pretty early Police struggled to find fingerprints or any other evidence to help them identify a suspect. All of the blood and everything was the family members. They, they didn't find any evidence that tied another person to this. They were trying to identify anyone who could have any ill will against the family. They looked into family, friends, so much as biker gangs that might have come through the hmm. area.
0: Like, they were grasping at straws the further into the case they got. And I'm sure, because you can imagine, I mean... Police officers, it's their job, but if mm-hmm. you had children the age of the children who are missing yes, and you're trying to investigate this, like, imagine how frantic mm-hmm. you would feel to find those children. Like, yeah. I'd be pointing fingers at everybody like, was, oh, it, you? was, it, you? was yeah. it you? Was it you? Was it you? Was it you?
1: Yeah, to find a 13-year-old bludgeoned in the head to the point of death with his mom and basically stepdad and then know that two kids, eight and nine years old, were missing without a trace. Yep. and to have kids that are nine and ten years old i'd be going crazy yeah yeah and so basically there were no strong leads like there was a couple things but nothing that i thought even really was noteworthy because none of it led to anything and so after seven long weeks on july 2nd of 2005 police received a call that there was a girl in the lane denny's that looked like shasta groney And so it was their waitress who thought, I don't know, that that just really looks like that girl. And so she told her manager who called the police while the waitress stalled the dinner and just basically tried to act as normal as she possibly could. And so oddly enough, this Denny's was like one of the main places I hung out in high school. So it's trippy to like think of the places and just being in those places. But when the police arrived, they went over and they, they went to talk to Shasta. And I read a report that she said that she assumed that her kidnapper was smart and that they wouldn't think anything of it and they would just leave and she wouldn't be rescued. And so sure enough, though, when the police asked for her name, the kidnapper that she was with told her, it's okay, you can say your name. And so she did. She said, I'm Shasta Grony. And it turned out that the person she was with was the kidnapper who also murdered her entire family.
0: And Oh, so, that's so spooky. Isn't that Like, just imagine the police. Like, there's one kid. Like, yeah. that would be an instant yeah. realization, too. It's yeah, terrifying. Mm-hmm.
1: And that was everyone's question was, where is Dylan? Where is your brother? Why? Like, it, it didn't make sense. But before that, so quickly, the, the person she was with was arrested. And the creepy last words that he said to Shasta were, do you promise to come see me when you're older? Creepy. Creep. Creep. And these were the words of Joseph Edward Duncan III, her kidnapper and murderer of her entire family
0: he's the worst
1: yep and he so, is the literal worst oh it gets so much worse once shasta was found and duncan was arrested that's when the tragedy all started to unfold all of these awful horrific details but as i said everyone's question was well where's dylan where's your brother is he okay it, you know where can we find him is he in the car he's in the bathroom like where's your brother mm-hmm. and shasta ended up telling them that dylan was in heaven and that duncan had shot him <sighs>
0: And that's the nice version. Yeah. So as Mackenzie talks about Shasta's perspective, I'm going to be chiming in with a crazy part of this story, which is that the murderer in this case had a personal blog where we get to get the inside scoop on why the heck he did what he did and what his mentality was behind what was going on. And although... We don't want to highlight him or give him praise or fame in any way because he's a garbage human being. We did want to add in why he did what he did because this isn't something that we all usually get when it comes down to crime. So we are going to share bits and pieces as we go along about why he did what he did. And hopefully it will provide you guys with some more information as far as... The context of a psychopath.
1: And, of course, we're going to take it with a grain of salt because it's from the mind of a crazy person. Exactly. Later, police discovered the campsite where Dylan was killed. Uh, It was in the middle of nowhere in Montana. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, so So it was about 100 miles from where they originally started Mm -hmm. is what I read.
1: Yep. And police, after searching the campsite in the area, found remains that consisted of fragments of Dylan's skull and ashes because he had been burned after he was murdered. Yep. And that's just the short version of this whole ordeal. And so after Shasta was rescued and gave all of her accounts of what had happened, that's when the story really started to unfold and we got her perspective on all of the awful tragic things that happened and so from her perspective this whole ordeal began when she heard her mother call her into the living room early in the morning of may 16th her mother brother and basically stepdad were bound with zip ties and duct tape duncan then bound her and her brother and left them on the ground outside near a swing set Shasta said she heard Mark yelling out several times, and at one point they saw their older brother Slade stagger incoherent and bleeding profusely from the head out of the home. The children yelled for Slade to untie them, but he was unable to respond. After her rescue, Shasta told police that she remembered that Duncan wore gloves and had a shotgun and night vision goggles. She recalled the brand name of the hammer used
0: to bludgeon the victims because Duncan showed her it after the attacks. And if you want to know his thinking behind why he chose a hammer, that we don't know because he brought a sawed-off shotgun to their house and you would think that's what he would use to instantly kill someone because Mm -hmm. that's what you would assume. You've seen enough movies that a gun works faster. It's like the least it's the most painful yeah yeah but not drawn out he said while i was making sure everything was quiet outside a moment before i had put away the sawed off shotgun and retrieved the framers hammer i had purchased for this purpose a few weeks before i now use the hammer to kill slade and then he goes on about how he struck slade in the head multiple times um and then he said i assumed as i intended that he was dead or at least unconscious and soon he would be dead I could not have been more wrong. I did not realize that such a blunt force to the brain does not kill instantly, which was the reason I chose to kill with a hammer. My thinking was that it would render the person unconscious immediately and then dead painlessly. I was sorely mistaken. He said that he left Slade in the grass and returned to the living room and then continued on.
1: Which that is not where he was found. So he must have been able to get up and stagger back into
0: the exactly. house. So he was very wrong about whatever insane theory that a hammer would be better than a gun. Yeah, that doesn't make
1: any sense. It doesn't
0: at all. And so that made that boy suffer even more because yeah. more atrocities and just awful behavior.
1: Yeah, and again, the police thought they were shot in the head.
0: It was a gruesome scene, and what he did made them indistinguishable between a gunshot victim or a bludgeoning victim.
1: Shasta went on to explain more information about Duncan kidnapping the two children from their home. As I said, he put them bound hand and foot on the floor of his Jeep Cherokee and drove to Montana. She was pretty sure it was Montana because he had showed her on a map.
0: Hmm, smart.
1: Yeah, I don't, again, I don't know why he did the things he did. He just it makes ma- it
0: more and more obvious that he is a crazy person.
1: Exactly. And so she had mentioned that he said there are rules and like he wanted them to call him daddy. Ugh. Ugh, just disgusting. He said that if they tried to run away, he would shoot them. We were horrified to find out that he also wanted them to call him Jet. Mwah. <laughs> i told that she needs to now change her name <laughs> we eventually found out that the reason that he liked the nickname jet was because it stood for
0: joseph edward the third so j-e-t which my name has two t's yeah still it's horrifying and very sad that my name was his nickname yes we were horrified. That that was like his like cool guy nickname. Yeah. You know what like, I mean? Like he thought Jet was the good person Exactly, in him. And it just makes me mad because that's my name and mm-hmm. he can't just use it for his own cool factor. That's yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah.
1: And <laughs> Shasta actually said that he would soften when they called him Jet. Hmm. He just. He had like alter egos. Exactly. Like. That's Ugh. what it seemed like because he had different nicknames for himself. It's almost like he thought Jet was like the good person in him. Yeah.
0: Ugh. Uh, In
1: an interview, Shasta said that Duncan would get upset if they weren't paying attention to him. So she would try to ask him questions about himself and ask him about his family and, you know, can she meet his family, stuff like that, and that it would help him be nicer to them. And so she would use that as a tactic to essentially help them survive. Mm -hmm. She also said that Duncan told her that when he came to her home, he was out looking for children to kidnap. He went past their house and saw her in a bathing suit playing around in the front yard he drove back again and
0: then saw dylan and i got to read this creep's perspective of seeing shasta he basically was saying oh this little girl was outside in her front yard playing in a swimsuit with her mom to put on a show for everybody driving by on the highway which is the only reason i saw them it's like they wanted the attention was what he was saying what a creep Ugh, disgusting
1: and because I lived in Coeur d'Alene I've driven by this house hundreds of
0: times probably yeah, it's just off the freeway
1: yep. it's no longer there they eventually demolished it mm-hmm. but I I've pointed out to jet where the house yeah was. it's
0: so the Coeur area is this it's basically a mountainous area mm-hmm. and so the highway kind of cuts between this valley between two kind of mountainous hill type things mm-hmm. covered in pines And every time we drive by, um, Mackenzie's like, yeah, that's where that horrible thing happened.
1: Yeah. I, I can't not think about it every time I drive by it. Yeah. And so it's weird because he basically would brag to the children about all of this. He told her that he cased the family's home for two to three days using goggles to look in the windows and study the family's habits and layouts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got to read his account of that. And he had basically packed up all of these camping supplies and like stocking supplies. And I guess... He had a camouflage tarp, and as I said, their house was kind of nestled down by the highway Mm -hmm. in between two mountains. And so, he talked about how he climbed the other mountain on the other side of the highway to like lay under a tarp and just watch them through binoculars all day, yeah, and like take notes on them. So terrifying, literally nightmare inducing mm-hmm. creep
1: well and i also read that apparently he had researched police investigation procedures oh. and took many steps to avoid getting caught
0: oh he brags about that yeah here's he, a direct he even quote bought,
1: like he bought two large of tennis shoes at the thrift store so no bloody footprints would be Whoa. detectable by police
0: yeah like he thought this through oh my god wow his direct quote is in the end i made a completely clean getaway and i knew it I wore gloves the entire time, left no prints on anything, not even the zip ties or duct tape. No one saw me or the Jeep at any time near the Grony home, and nobody knew I was even in that part of the country.
1: Yeah. Throughout her testimonies, Shasta described beatings, molestation, harrowing threats, rape, along with apologies and Duncan's raving about God and forgiveness. Ugh. No. He had like this sick perspective. I'll let Jed explain that later, but yeah, he he was sick. He apparently once tied Dylan to a log and beat him with a stick until the stick
0: broke. Ugh. She said that she saw it happen because she was tied to a tree. Hmm and it's of note to mention kids were missing for seven weeks seven weeks where he had i mean i don't know how quickly he killed dylan after that i assume six weeks six weeks yeah dylan was alive for over like six weeks that's fantastic yeah (sighs) to be clear jet was being sarcastic yeah
1: duncan would ask shasta how she wanted to die he would oh. tell her that she had the option to be strangled or shot and would explain that being shot would be quicker.
0: Because he, he knows how to kill people. Who directly. knows?
1: Yeah. And so she chose the strangle because she thought it was slower and therefore she might be able to talk him out of it before the deed was done. Oh my God. And it got God. to the point where at one point he actually put a rope around her neck and she basically in her last breath said, please don't jet. And when she said that, he started crying and stopped. He ended up asking if she wanted to meet his mom, and she said yes again as a way to try and, like, convince him that she was interested in him. Holy crap. When authorities rescued Shasta, she told them that Duncan said that he was bringing her back to her father because Duncan had changed his mind about killing her. She said that Duncan stated that she taught him how to love.
0: Yeah, friggin'
1: right yeah (laughs) i don't think he knows how to feel anything exactly shasta told investigators that six weeks into their kidnapping duncan took dylan alone to another location at some point he was gone for hours and she described the horrific acts that occurred during that time based on what her brother told her when he returned he then uh it turns out duncan had been recording this and then showed shasta videos of him torturing molesting raping her brother
0: oh my god
1: she then explained that soon after that Duncan killed Dylan and there's some I guess conflicting information on what actually happened because she couldn't see the first shot but she heard the shot and Duncan claims it was an accident that the gun accidentally went off
0: And at this point, Dylan had been shot in the stomach. Yeah, I think from what I read i mean because obviously duncan was caught for these crimes we know this because they found him in denny's but he's talking about this in court right so of course he's gonna say he's going to lessen his sentence however the heck yeah he's gonna say it was an accident oh this was an accident i think i read that he said his gun was in his like toolbox
1: i read that too and he
0: dug around too hard and it Mm -hmm. went off and shot duncan yeah
1: and then because of that he claims that he didn't want dylan to suffer and so he chose to kill him And so he put the shotgun up to his head and the first time it didn't go off he had to reload the gun and actually shoot him in the head and kill him and this shasta did see and was close enough that she had blood splattered on her clothes and shoes which duncan then burned along with dylan's body for days to get rid of the evidence authorities found evidence of the videos that he had taken and other things on his camera's laptop and electronics that were found in the stolen, rented Jeep jurors were also told by the fbi firearms expert john webb that he could not get the shotgun with which the boy was shot to fire accidentally in drop tests oh webb added the shotgun required five pounds of pressure on the trigger to fire so safe to assume it was not an accident Mm -hmm. in a final taped interview four weeks after her rescue shasta returned to montana with investigators and showed them where the events took place she identified rocks where she dylan and duncan were standing When Dylan was killed. Hmm. And so this is how they found the remains of of Dylan. Wow. So a lot of this is testimonies from court cases. And and this is a long process. And oddly enough, Duncan acted as his own jury in the sentencing phase, suggesting... I mean, it makes sense because he's a... And sociopath yeah. narcissist yeah i mean he probably thought he could do a better job
0: than anyone else to... he's a serial killer blogger that yeah. should say enough Ugh. about his personality Ugh. yeah
1: yeah so again i was sick to my stomach doing All research for this. Yep. Ugh. The jurors that were on this case were offered counseling in order to cope with the horrifying evidence that they had to see during the trial in order to make a decision. This evidence included human remains, a wire noose, as well as videos of Duncan torturing nine-year-old Dylan no during one of the videos a child could be heard screaming in pain while a naked duncan could be heard shouting the devil is here boy the devil himself the devil likes to watch children suffer and cry
0: that's nausea inducing that alone makes me want to throw up yes i remember when you found that and sent just that quote to me i was my literal jaw dropped Mm -hmm. like there's there's one thing to be kind of like this aimless senseless serial killer who just kills for like some adrenaline rush but there's a whole nother type of crazy out there Mm -hmm. where he says things like he's the freaking devil like that is terrifying yes terrifying
1: the jurors on the trial had to watch like they were required to watch videos of a nine-year-old boy being tortured and molested
0: yep someone's got to do it get that (sighs) guy put away
1: one of the main jurors said in court that he often got a sense that duncan was trying to fool the jurors by hinting that he wanted to die his way to manipulate them into not giving him what he wanted Mm. he also said that he was offended by sly smirks he saw duncan direct towards female jurors
0: Ew! he said he watched that makes
1: me mad He said he watched Duncan closely when the jury's decision was read and Duncan's face turned as white as a ghost and all of the sudden the facial expressions were gone and I feel that justice was served. He looked like a dead man to me after we laid that down. Nice. That, I hadn't heard that before. Mm -hmm. That feels so good to hear. He said he has no regrets about the unanimous verdict that was reached in just three hours. That's pretty quick. That's really quick. Wow. Bye bye he said the best moment of the case was when it was all over and dylan's father steve Grony, came out and thanked them at the end because it felt like we did justice for him and his family at that point
0: wow that's awesome
1: federal charges against duncan in connection with the kidnappings of dylan and shasta and dylan's murder have yet to be filed U.S. District Attorney Tom Moss announced earlier that Duncan may also face charges for production of child pornography in connection with the case. On October 6, 2006, Duncan eventually pled guilty to kidnapping and molesting both children, which resulted in six life sentences. Still, the prosecution's theory of Duncan's motives is vague, with... Revenge and sex as two motivators. On December 3rd, 2007, Duncan pled guilty to 10 charges for kidnapping, sexual abuse, and the murder of Dylan. Joseph Duncan now resides in a United States penitentiary in Indiana, awaiting death row. He has been on death row for over 11 years. In the United States, there are currently 2,629 death row inmates. As of late August of this year we looked it up and the death penalty is uh, recognized in 29 states as well as federally and uh, by the military and the United States is the only developed Western nation that applies the death penalty regularly
0: hmm. yeah I don't know if I necessarily have an opinion on the death sentence but it, I find it a little bit surprising that it's a pretty even split I mean yeah about half the state 30 20 I guess is it's interesting and I don't know for sure if Washington is a, I don't know, I didn't look it up, death sentence state, but Idaho is. And so it's crazy that his final crime Mm -hmm. that he was caught for was in Idaho, therefore opened it up for the death sentence. So what you going to do? And he was probably in this path that like something could happen where I could get paroled or released or get out again because that's the pattern that he had lived his whole
1: life. Thankfully, him pleading guilty and the evidence that they had allowed Shasta to not need to be a witness and testify in the trial. Oh, thank God. Yeah, that was one of the few nice things about this trial Yeah, was that there was so much evidence and that he was by the end pleading
0: guilty that she didn't have to be... Involved. Yeah, that's good because I I don't know. Of course, I didn't follow the case when it was happening because I was like, oh, I was nine or eleven. Well, yeah, yeah,
1: this and it took a couple years. Like it was December two thousand seven when he had his final. So we would have been about ten. Well, twelve. Gotcha. Yeah. So it took over two years for all of this to finally go through the court system. So we would have been twelve. Shasta would have been, I think,
0: Mm eleven. So and what's crazy is this crime happened in Mackenzie's hometown, but the trial happened in my home. Town, mm-hmm. sort of. I mean, I lived outside of Boise, but that's where this whole trial happened, where they actually convicted him. So pretty crazy. I can remember the trickle down effect. Like your family was trying to protect you uh, mm-hmm. from all those like awful things after hearing about this. Well, my parents took me to like a kidnapping prevention seminar. Really? And they like I had to get my fingerprints in a book, and like wow. they took pictures of you and took your height and weight and. To, accurate description and like gave you tips and tricks on like Mm. how to not be kidnapped as a kid well yeah because i would imagine
1: this made people realize that people this crazy are out there and who knows how many of them there are and they're in podunk idaho yeah the safe places that you know you think nothing bad happens in idaho so this
0: sick man had a sick history unfortunately he has a crime sheet list of so many awful things that happened before this and it's a shock he ever even got to this point because his criminal history dates back to when he was just 15 years old So Joseph Edward Duncan was born in February of 1963 in Tacoma, Washington. Still
1: very close to home. Yes. We visit there frequently for
0: city-like endeavors. In 1978, he raped a nine-year-old boy at gunpoint. So Mm. that was just like... First crime, just going to dive right into... He should have never gotten out of jail. Yeah. For that alone. Yep. Then in 1979, he was arrested for driving a stolen car. And you're going to see a pattern here that makes absolutely no sense and... I don't know how, but, like, every time he was arrested, it was just for, like, parole violations or, like, driving a stolen car.
1: Like, the least of what happened. Yes.
0: So, for driving that stolen car, he was sentenced as a juvenile and sent to Disillin's Boys Ranch in Tacoma. He told a therapist at the ranch um, who was assigned to his case that he had tied up and sexually assaulted at least six boys.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Later on, he also told the therapist that he estimated he had raped... 13 younger boys by the time he was only 16. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he was arrested in 1979. So he would have been just 16. Yeah, 16. So if his crimes started, I mean, must have started when he like hit puberty or something. Ugh, I couldn't gosh. find anything on his like childhood or any reasoning behind why. None of them would be valid. No. Very true. But I would be curious yeah what like what how happens on in earth it,
1: does someone's mind at that age
0: well yeah, get that messed up? Thirteen younger boys? Like he oh, Yeah. God it's ridiculous then so i guess later on so he would have been released from this boy's ranch and then in 1980 also in tacoma duncan stole a number of guns from a neighbor and then abducted a 14 year old boy (sighs) and sodomized him at gunpoint um he was then sentenced to 20 years in prison for this crime but was not released enough. on parole no! in 1994. No! He served 14 years. Not enough. Yep, not enough. Not a stink enough. Not ugh, enough.
1: Like, gosh.
0: I would like that to makes, know ugh. the counselor who knew he had raped 13 other boys. Yeah, and, and like, was
1: like, oh, he's fine.
0: Yeah, and then no somehow let him back into the world ugh. to do it again. And then he gets let out after 14 years. Like, Sick. if there's no... There's a pattern evident. Like, proof beyond proof.
1: Yeah, he'd already been to jail. Like, if he was going to yes, change, he would have changed. Exactly.
0: Like, if they, for some ungodly reason, gave him a second chance at life and then he did it again, he should stay in jail the rest of his life. Ugh. No questions asked. So, while he was on parole, it is believed... Well, he admitted to that he murdered Sammy Joe, age 11, and Carmen Cuevas, age 9, who are sisters in Seattle in 1996, so 2 years after being released on parole. Jeez. And then he killed Anthony Martinez, age 10, in riverside county california in 1997 i also lived near there yep however at that age yeah in that year yeah he was looming around he was in and out of, of our lives anybody oh anybody gosh. this could have happened to anybody is ridiculous. I live next to a pretty busy highway about the time this was happening, mm-hmm. and I played around in the sprinklers. You know, it yeah. could happen to anybody. It's insane. So he confessed to the murders of Sammy Joe and Carmen. And so that hasn't been proven yet. There was no definitive oh. evidence that he was a part of that murder. Besides do-
1: confessing to a random murder that he otherwise wouldn't have known about? Exactly. Yeah. I think but, that's well, safe th- enough.
0: Yeah. yeah. But he was convicted for Anthony Martinez. But again, Again, both those cases... The double murder and the Anthony Martinez murder went cold until Until, the uh, groany murders happened and he was convicted and then he confessed to everything else.
1: I feel like at that point he's just like, oh, if I'm guilty, look at all the other stuff I did. Yep. He was bragging. He was a sick, oh gosh, that makes me just. Yep. Actually, one of the jurors I remember in one of the articles I read said that he had a hard time not just jumping across the courtroom and just attacking him. Because like anger that he'd never felt before came out of. Of him and he just oh I and and imagine. it makes sense like hearing all of this stuff it makes me very angry
0: yeah yep it's like there's people out there who just decide that whatever societal rules or things that are kindness or not like totally disturbed mm-hmm. to do Just go out the window and they're like, I'm just going to do whatever I want with this life and it's going to be nasty and I'm going to be known for being nasty. And that's just like their motive for life.
1: Yeah. Because I read a little bit of his blog. I basically sent you the link and said, I don't want to read this. You can if you want. Yeah. Because he's sick and I didn't want to spend that much time reading his words. But I do remember him saying at one point that he didn't feel like he knew the difference between right and wrong anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah whatever which actually at least i read that that too and i have a comment on that sure if he thought what he was doing he didn't know the difference between white right and wrong why did he kill them after he raped them yeah to me he knew that means he freaking knew like if he was just a guy because i've heard out there that there are pedophiles who believe that pedophilia is a type of sexuality and Ugh. in a similar way to how the LGBTQ community is accepted, oh that they gosh. should be accepted. That and is, no, no, it's, no not it's, okay. not, it's, it's not okay. It's not. It's not. We it's want to be di- it's No, it's Ugh. bad, 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 bad. But I know that there's people like that. Ugh. He has proven it's not a sexuality thing. No, it's a sickness. It's a sickness. It's about control. It's about being a psychopath yeah. and just being a narcissist and just going Ugh. between those two worlds where they're like, oh, woe is me but also i'm gonna take advantage of anything i want Ew. and be a basically devil man and then i'm gonna go back and be like oh it was because i didn't know right from wrong yeah yeah freaking right yep he's trying to like play dumb exactly. but he knows yep. so after those two murders went cold duncan was arrested in kansas and returned to prison in violation uh, of his parole i'm not positive but i'm pretty sure that one was uh he got caught using marijuana so he went back to jail for using marijuana after how is someone TV who was a
1: rapist and a murderer only getting caught for marijuana i don't know
0: i don't know um but then so after three years serving time uh he was released again on good behavior he must have been the most manipulative psychopath MLB in the world like, yes ugh. psychopath but then after he was let out he moved to fargo north dakota which i've also been so that's yeah. great <laughs> And then, so, five years later, which is 2005, which, as we know, is the year that he committed the mm-hmm. uh, Grony family murders. Earlier that year, in March, Duncan was charged with the July 3rd, 2004 molestation of two boys at a playground in detroit lakes minnesota jeez on april 5th 2005 he appeared before the becker county judge who set his bail to fifteen thousand dollars and then here comes the doozy the doozy that makes me so so mad a fargo businessman with whom duncan had become acquainted with helped him post bail Ugh! he shouldn't get bail yes he should not this doesn't make any freaking it sense. It doesn't. But again, we must keep in mind that all he's been, well, besides, I mean, he's admitted to raping tons of people. Yeah. At this point, they don't think he's a murderer. They just think he maybe smokes some weeds, steals some cars, has some guns and rapes people. But yet, still could have bail. Like mm, I don't think there's a lesson to be learned with this guy. It's just yeah, he do just needs until to you can't forever. do exactly. However, so Duncan basically m- manipulated that businessman into posting bail. He uh took the bail money and disappeared and didn't show up to court. <laughs> So he had that money. No one should be surprised. Yeah. And so at that point, that's when he realized how much deep crap he was in because he would have a warrant out for his arrest, right? Mm -hmm. So at that point, he was realizing, oh, I'm going to go to jail. Well, it's time to start rampaging i have a direct quote from his blog about what he did and so after he ran away from that court appearance he said my intention was to kidnap rape and murder as many children as i could before getting caught if i was going to be punished for something i wanted to make sure it was something worth being punished for
1: oh yeah gosh
0: He said, I wanted to punish society for punishing me. I still believed at that time in the social lie called justice. And I used this false belief in order to justify my wrath and vengeance. I honestly believed that I had every right to do what I wanted to do. I drove to Minneapolis where I rented a Jeep Cherokee and ditched my other Pontiac Grand Am. And this was between when he was running away so he got a different car Mm -hmm. to then go back to do what he did to the Grony family he said i wanted a more reliable vehicle one that i could drive off road with if necessary and one that would be invisible to ordinary police jeez then i began my trek for revenge on my so-called rampage i have no word yes so his rampage began with the Grony family it's insane so basically after that point he does that to that family and as we know thankfully he got caught because again uh. his narcissism brought him back to the town yeah that he did the crime in i remember when they found her people were confused
1: they thought that maybe he was someone else that either found her and had no idea like what happened or that yeah. the kidnapper sold her to someone else yeah. and that because no one didn't in their know. right mind because it didn't make any sense yes. that he would come right back to co waltz into a store with yeah. her as if nothing happened and how far away is
0: the denny's from her house
1: mm, 30 minutes if not. Mm. because it's all highway though so it was like
0: 20 but it's, minutes coeur d'alene is still although what the it's, population is maybe a hundred thousand or so I don't know.
1: it's it's a small enough community and there were built like she remembers passing billboards with her face on it on oh the way God. to denny's with her and her brother's faces on it saying missing children <sighs> call this number
0: yeah so As you can tell, this case happened in 2005, and so there's been plenty of years between now and then. Mm -hmm. And um, the only survivor is Shasta, and she has her biological father who wasn't a part of the murder, but is still a part of her life. Yeah. But through me and Mackenzie's research, we basically learned that Shasta has gone through waves in her life where it sounds like she's had some struggles Mm -hmm. and some pitfalls and some possible struggles with addiction and drugs but she's also had highlights in her life like i can tell she's gotten married she has two children um she now lives in southern idaho but i'm sure she would like some peace Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe not to know exactly where she is to kind of escape from the horrors that happened before and she also i think at one of the high points in her recovery after this trauma was when she was about 18 years old maybe 19 uh, she started a book on her experiences, and she wanted to use basically her survival as. story of upliftment but I think since then things have gone downhill and we even found like she had a kickstarter for the book Mm -hmm. and she had a writer and a manager for the book but um, when I followed up on the Facebook page for the book itself it looked like um, they had officially announced that they were stopping production and from that point forward the book was paused Mm -hmm. so it seems like she's been caught up with the law on and off Mm -hmm. since the book was canceled and she's had some struggles there but one thing I did want to make a note on was So the reason why we wanted to highlight Duncan's history, it wasn't to just like talk all about the nasty things that he did. We'd prefer to never talk about or know about him at all. Yes, but in 2016 when Shasta was 19, she started a petition called Slade and Dylan's Law for her two brothers that were murdered by Duncan. Basically the petition was, it stated, convicted sex offenders should not be let out of jail. I agree. Yes, this would effectively mean that the three-strike rule, which I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't either. Apparently, you can just have a three-strike rule for... That's a lot. Yeah, being a pedophile. So, effectively, that means that the three-strike rule for violent sex offenders to be reduced to one strike. By the time the petition closed, it had 51,000 supporters can add our names to the list. Yep, but I don't know if that law ever came into place. Yeah, I'm not aware of that law ever
1: getting passed, but I know I I remember her father making a similar call saying, basically, please call your local representatives and demand that something changes because this sicko could have been stuck in jail at any point in time and saved a dozen lives
0: yeah even. Like, from trauma yeah yeah we don't know all the things that he didn't admit to like what exactly. if his narcissism decided that he had shame about a certain thing that he mm-hmm. did and didn't want to crush whatever Oof. persona he created for himself about what type of killer he is like we have no idea yeah when he was in and out of prison what the heck he could have done so it's a it's a crazy story and it's unfortunate that it got to that point with the Grony family and Mm -hmm. our condolences go out to them. And um, I did want to make a note. Um, I found a resource called childrengrieve.org. If you would like to donate, they have a donate page on there. If you would like to help children, like uh Shasta was to help them heal after tragedy and grief. Mm-hmm. That would be a really good resource. If yeah. so, if you've gotten fired up like we have about something like this and you mm-hmm. want to do something. I think that would be a really good effect. Yeah. And maybe even donate in Shasta's name. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Cuz the
1: reason we wanted to talk about this was to bring awareness to the issue.
0: Childhood trauma It looks like it's affected Shasta the rest of her life, as you could imagine. I I would, yeah. And I think spreading the love and positivity out into the world is what's going to make this world a better place Mm -hmm. and help support people like that. Yeah, something needs to change, obviously. So we we want to call
1: to the world to, to help make those changes happen. Yes. For this episode, we did a lot of research, and we have a lot of sources that we wanted to cite, and so we are going to be listing those in our episode description. So if you have any interest in taking a look at some of the, the sources and the more detailed facts about what we found, you can find those in the episode description, and while you're there you can review and rate and subscribe to our podcast. Subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear us again next week. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have an intriguing story that you'd like to share with us to be featured on a future episode, email friendsfascinated at gmail.com. We can't wait to blow your mind with more curiosities next week. You've just listened to another episode of Friends Fascinated. Thanks for listening.